Jesus is King. Welcome to the 1 Peter 5 podcast, Rebuilding Christendom, Restoring Catholic Culture and Tradition. I'm Timothy Flanders, the editor of 1 Peter 5, and I'm joined today by Philip Burns, academic dean, and Edward Schaefer, president of the Collegium Sanctorum Angelorum. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us, Tim. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so we're talking about the new traditional Catholic college, the Collegium, which has just entered its inaugural year this year, as I understand it, correct? That is correct. Fantastic. So we're going to talk all about that. It's an exciting new development, new foundation, and a, certainly an auspicious year to begin <laughs> a college such as this. Uh, a very bold, bold initiative. I love it. Uh, before we get into our topic, I uh, just want to point viewers to uh, a, a topic of interest, um, and that is one of our contributing editors, Peter Kwasniewski, has edited a book addressing the question of the infallibility of canonizations. This is a, a text called Are Canonizations Infallible by Aruka Press, and I've linked below if you want to check that out. It's a subject of much interest to many. Uh, the book does present both sides of the argument. And so it presents uh, these disputed questions. So take a look at that. That's linked below. Uh, but also linked below is the Collegium. So it's the-collegium.org. So I want to start off by talking to, I guess, Philip, I'll, I'll address you first, Philip, and, and then uh, Edward, if you can tell me a little bit about your personal journey with academics in the academic life. How did you personally get involved with the Collegium? Tell us the story of how this began. Very good. Well, again, thank you, Tim, for having us here. Happy to be here. Uh, so my journey, at, at least as far as the Collegium is concerned, or my journey in academics. Um, so I was born and raised in New Orleans, and that's where I'm from. And I did uh, my master's degree uh, and my undergraduate at Tulane University. And I was also in and out of the seminary for a number of years uh, while I was there. I was a couple of years in the undergraduate seminary, a couple of years in the graduate seminary. And that was sort of my first introduction to academics. And when I got out, uh, that was how I kind of got into philosophy and then following theology, of course, in the, in the graduate seminary. Uh, and so when I got out of formation, that's when I started teaching. And I taught for a number of years. Uh, and then I went on uh, to do my PhD at the University of St. Thomas in Houston. I'm finishing, I'm writing the dissertation right now. And it was a number of years ago then um, I was visiting my family down in Florida. They're uh, just north of Tampa. And uh, we, was going to, we went to Mass one Sunday at their local parish. Uh, it was an FSSP mission. They came up from Christ the King down in Sarasota. This is one of their, their mission, mission parishes. And I, I heard one of the most wondrous parish scholars you have ever heard in your life. And I was, I was amazed. And, and, you know, if you've been around to any, any, you know, parish, any parish USA, you're kind of hit or miss uh, with, with volunteer, with volunteer scholae. So having heard what they, what they were doing, this is magnificent. I just wanted to go over and, and introduce myself to the choir director, uh, a one uh, Edward Schaefer. And so when I introduced myself to him uh, and he asked, you know, what I was doing and I said, well, I'm, I'm doing coursework for the PhD and over in Houston. And he told me about this school. He was planning on opening and we stayed in touch uh, ever since then. 
And it was about a year ago, December, uh, he calls me up, asked if I would come up to Hagerstown to interview uh, if I was still interested in being a part of the project. I said, absolutely. So I came up just after the new year uh, and interviewed for the position and, you know, divine providence provided for all of the rest. That's how I came to be uh, associated with this. Fantastic. So Edward, were you one of the founding members in the in the beginning? How did this all begin, I guess? So this was already on track for some time before Philip came in on board. Yeah, this opening this fall was the end of about an eight-year process um, to get to get from the beginning concept to actually getting permitted opening. And um, and I will say that during those seven, eight years, the two things that kept me awake every night were the first students that I would admit and the first faculty that I would hire. <laughs> and with Philip on board, I sleep very well now. <laughs> uh, it, was a, it was a truly providential hire to bring, to bring him on board. Um, my journey was a little different. I, I have been in higher education now about 40 years. Most of that time was in Catholic institutions. I was in a Jesuit institution in the Northwest for 21 years. Uh, really loved it out there, loved living out there, never thought I would leave. I was a tenured professor and I felt a, there was a moral obligation with that to support the mission, the vision of the institution. And the longer I was there, the harder it got because the institution was clearly becoming more and more secularized. And I never looked at teaching as just a profession. It was, it was a vocation for me. So eventually we just had to leave. Um, it was, it was a kind of a, a faith moral crisis. We just had to leave. I ended up looking around for other institutions at that time. And it was, it was then that I realized that the crisis that was happening at my institution was not an isolated matter. It was happening system-wide. Every place we interviewed, it, it looked like we were just going to go to another institution that was essentially in the same situation. I ended up at the University of Florida. Uh, I, I kind of fought that spiritually for a while. I prayed and I said, God, I've never been in a public institution. Why am, what have you done to me? Why am I here? This isn't, this isn't how my life was supposed to turn out. Um, I've come to understand that was, a, uh, that was kind of my, my firing moment. I mean, I don't mean from a job. I mean, firing in the kiln. Um, there were some skills I needed to, to finish. I was 10 years at a kind of a upper level ma um, administrative post that really gave me a skill set that was help that's helpful in getting this institution off the ground. And I've come to appreciate that greatly now. Uh, and there's some brilliant people. Uh, they think creatively and innovatively uh, uh, there and, and having that experience was great. Um, at the same time, we spent time looking around and at some point we were we were sitting in the kitchen kind of commiserating about the state of Catholic higher education. And I kind of mused half, half joking. I said, well, maybe we should start a school. And uh, it was kind of a quiet moment. And my wife said, I think that's a good idea. And so with that, the collegium was spawned. <laughs> uh, we, we spent the next seven years getting to this point. And, uh, this has been a great year getting it open. It's been a great year. Fantastic. How, how did you come up with the name? Well, that's an interesting story itself. <laughs> In the early years, we were, we were having some challenges with our bishop. That's kind of putting it mildly. 
And we have, I have a daughter that lives in Paris and we have good friends over there. Um, a gentleman who is president of a chant school, uh, L'Ecole de Cougarien de Paris. And, and I was over there visiting and we were having dinner and I told him the story of, of the challenge we were having with the bishop. And his wife looked at me and in this very elegant French, she said, Edward, she said, you must pray to your guardian angel to speak to the bishop's guardian angel to soften his heart. So I began, we still, I still pray every day to the angels. And um, well, it, we, I decided at some point, I said, you know, a guardian angel is a very special creature and has, has uh, done wonders for me throughout my life. I said, but let's give him some help. <laughs> so, so we, so we've named the college. We, we named the college after all the angels. Um, the bishop doesn't quite know that it's in his honor that that happened. <laughs> so, um, but uh, that, that was how the name came about. And there's no other college in the, in the world that has that name. With the exception, there is a medical school in India that is called the College of the Holy Angels. But other than that, there is no other college in the, in the world with this name. And we are a unique college in the world. And so it, we, did, we should have a unique name. Excellent. Um, so tell us about uh, what is your, what are y'all's personal areas of expertise? You said, Philip, you were, I believe, philosophy. Did you say, tell us about your expertise? And Edward, what is your area of, of teaching? Yes, yeah, so, um, my my primary area is, is philosophy. Uh, so I'm writing my PhD or my dissertation right now for the PhD. Uh, my primary area of research, uh, where I'm writing the dissertation, is is uh, the moral background for economics. So it's a practical moral science. Uh, so the ethics, a little bit of political philosophy. Uh, I've also um, an area of interest for me is the area of natural philosophy. Uh, and then when it comes to uh, theology, I have a master's degree in theology, uh, and it's biblical typology is kind of my my focus there. Fantastic. And Edward, what is your specialty? My background was in music. Uh, all of my degrees are music degrees or, or church music degrees. My particular emphasis has been broadly the musical patrimony of the church, but more specifically, Carolingian chant. In fact, my students this week, our students, will have a debate on Friday. They will become different groups of monks that were sent from Rome up to uh, Gaul and commissioned by Charlemagne to uh, develop ways to preserve the tradition so that he can pass it through the kingdom that is now being the whole becoming the Holy Roman Empire and will be spread throughout all of Europe. And they will debate on whether the notation, notation of Long or the notation of Sangal should be the, the notation of the realm. Uh, so that's my primary interest. I have some background in Latin. Uh, I don't have a graduate degree, but I've got, I think, 27 or 30 credits toward a, toward a degree that I just sort of took for fun. Uh, so I, I teach some Latin as well. Fantastic. So you alluded to a crisis in higher education um and that's not a surprise to any of our viewers but for a catholic family with a senior in high school who's looking at college what really are the options out there what makes the collegium so necessary 
let me start with something general, and then Philip, you and I can uh, bounce off of each other on this. I, I think there are two things that parents worry about. Well, they worry about money, and that's an issue that we um, we we try to help them address. But they worry about jobs, and they worry about faith, uh, and and somehow they feel like often that they have to trade one to get the other. Uh, particularly, what we're seeing is that parents are concerned. I can see in the chat box questions about uh, specific kinds of degrees. And uh, so I think it's important for us to address those two areas. How about if we, how about if we start with the, um, maybe talk a little bit about the curriculum, Philip, and then we can integrate that into the work program. That's a, a unique part of who we are. And then we'll tie it into our connection to uh, tradition and why that's important in terms of the faith. Sure. So one of the, the unique things about our curriculum and one of the things that drew me to this program um, was that was, first of all, the, the unity of the curriculum itself. Right. so I've sometimes when when I'm talking about this and I'll say, I mean, I have I have one of the best educations in the secular sense that I think, you know, that one could have. Um, and yet, having gone through it, I, I'm not sure. Uh, it's in its value at the end of the day when you when you take courses that are entirely disconnected from each other uh, when they're not ordered not only among each other but they're not ordered to some sort of higher end or higher purpose uh, even in themselves everything is very disjointed and everything is kind of separated from that question of unity uh, from the from the question of truth and that's something that's absolutely central uh, to the curriculum at the collegium we're not so much a we're, we're not a great books program per se i mean we obviously we read uh, many of the great books uh but our our primary concern uh, at the end of the day is with the pursuit of wisdom with the pursuit of truth and all of our courses among uh, are are related to each other and they are all governed by the principle that directs each one of each one of the courses all of our coursework uh where it culminates in the study of theology in God's revelation uh, of himself uh, to us. So the, the central theme that we work with in our, in our curriculum, again, one of the things that kind of sets us apart from a lot of other schools is, uh, so it's why the, the connection that we have in the classroom to the spiritual life of our students, right? So it's one of the reasons why, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of come to this, uh, in a second, but when we talk about our adherence to tradition or why we find our home in the ancient rites of the church, and in part it's because of our curriculum, of our classical curriculum, right? You can go to a number of other places and you can study patristic theology, but then if you ask, well, can I have the mass that gave nourishment to the patristic? No, 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 you can't have that. You could study the, the theology of St. Thomas, scholastic theology, and well, can I have the mass that gave expression to scholastic theology, no, no, you can't, you can't have that, right? Um, so we want what our, what our students learn in the classroom. We want to be reinforced by their prayer life, by their spiritual life, and then conversely, we want their prayer life, their spiritual life, to be reinforced by what they're learning in the classroom. And so, to that end, our curriculum then follows the traditional division of the arts and sciences, as laid down by Aristotle, and then is kind of kept cultivated and practiced by the tradition all throughout the Middle Ages, basically the way Catholic schools used to educate people up until, you know, 100 years ago or so. 
So it starts with, I mean, as soon as our freshmen arrive, uh, they're, they're hit with the trivium. One of the, I mean, their first semester here, one of the things we're covering now uh, for this whole year actually will be Aristotle's Organon. So we start with the categories on interpretation and then the books of the analytics, right? So all of, all of the treatises on logic. Um, so it's the formation of the art of thinking. Thinking, like all arts, is done well or it's done poorly, or in some cases today, it's not done at all. Uh, so we're, we, we want to start immediately training our students in the art of thinking well. I'm not so much concerned with what they're thinking, right? The, the time for disputation and argumentation will come, but it will come later. Uh, right now, it's just the, the formation for the process, right? How one thinks well. And then we, we start them off, of course, uh, with Latin, uh, such that it can connect them to all of these years, all of our patrimony, all of the great, not, not just the great academic writings, but the spiritual writings as well, and the, the very liturgy of the church. Um, of course, we start them off Old Testament, New Testament. So, of course, the study of sacred scripture are the principles for later theological science. Uh, so all of that we spend, you know, their, their opening years kind of building that solid foundation so that as, the, as their formation goes on, we take them through the philosophic sciences, the philosophy of nature, metaphysics, and into systematic theology. They kind of see how all of this is connected and how it all kind of ties together and it all leads up to the same point. And, and then this is, this is connected and reinforced throughout the humanities program where we do read a lot of the great books, the poets and, and other great authors. And so I th it's, it's that orientation, I think it's that focus that really does set us apart from from other even other Catholic liberal arts colleges. I, I want to add to that a little bit. Philip alluded to this, but wasn't as specific as I, I will be. And that is that perhaps the thing that is most significant about us is that we don't accommodate tradition, but we fully embrace it. That makes us different. It, we don't look at tradition as sort of one item on a on a big um, smorgasbord of Catholic enlightenment. Uh, we believe that tradition, that tradition is at the heart and soul of the church, the faith, and, and we embrace it. Now, partly we embrace it because, uh, as, as Philippa just said, it's a, it's a natural connection to a, to a curriculum like ours. But there's another, perhaps even more important reason, it's this. If you look at the age groups, this is data that probably a lot of people will already know, but if you look at the statistics of young Catholic adults, say between 18 and the early 30s, that age group, 7% of them are attending Mass regularly. 7%. Now, if you're a parent, that's just got to make you shudder. And, and most of them stop attending Mass regularly in their college years. And if they barely make it through their college years, then the culture just crushes them when they graduate, and it happens then shortly thereafter. However, if you take that same group and you filter those statistics, looking at just those people that come from traditional families, people that attend the traditional Latin Mass on a regular basis, the regular Mass attendance is 98%. 98% versus 7%. And so we tell parents, our primary goal is to help your son, your daughter, transition from a life at home to an independent life, not just with their faith intact, but their faith strengthened. 
and with the tools, the resources, the support, the formation that they need to live lives of virtue that will get them to heaven. That's our number one goal. Now, related to this, and we, we do need to talk about this, we, we also believe that we can give them a really good skill set that will help them be successful in earthly endeavors. And so we should talk about the jobs part a little bit, because I know parents think about that. And they, um, it, it's quite amazing, you know, that the, the faith is really important to them because they, they, you know, they circle the wagons and they homeschool the kids and they travel, you know, an hour and a half, two hours every way to go to traditional mass. And then when college comes around, all of that somehow gets, gets compromised because they're worried that their son or daughter is not going to get a job. And I think, I think they're, they're misguided. Uh, so let me talk a little bit about that, if I may. We have a program called Ora et Labora from the Benedictine spirituality that uh, that um, influences a lot of what we do, uh, a prayer and labor. So every one of our students works. They have to work a minimum of eight hours a week in jobs that we help arrange for them uh, near the near the college near the college campus. There's several reasons we do that. Part of it, the spiritual benefits of work. Part of it is that that we have contracts with the employers. The employers don't pay the students, they pay us. And that helps us to keep the cost down for the students, okay? But, the, but a very important part of that has to do with, with job preparation. Even if they're not in a job that's, gonna, that's going to result in a career. I spent 13 years at the University of Florida. Uh, I was in an administrative position for 10 of those, and I worked with art students. 1,500 employers came onto campus every year. 1,300 of those employers didn't care what your major was. They were looking people with, with skill sets like they could work in teams, they could be articulate, they could speak well, they could write well, they could think creatively, they could problem solve, things like that. And liberal arts students develop that skill set. I watched the art students. They had extraordinary powers of observation. They were they were highly self self-motivated. They they could express themselves not just in artworks, but but they but that helped teach them how to express themselves in words and in writing. They didn't always understand that skill set. They weren't very good at articulating it to an employer. They were good at doing it once they got into a job, but they didn't know how to sell themselves, basically, if you want to use that terminology. And I think working while they're a student can help them develop that understanding, and we can help coach them so that they they can articulate that skill set. The liberal arts profession is a, is our studies are an excellent preparation for most jobs. True, they're not, I think, one of the people wanted an engineering school. We're not an engineering school. And if you're going to be an engineer, I, I'm sorry, but you have to go to an engineering school because I want to drive across a bridge that's built by an engineer, not a philosopher. So you have to do that. Okay. Um, but, but most other positions, I'm probably a poster child for this. All of my degrees are in music. And I stepped down from a position that was essentially the COO of one of the smaller colleges of the University of Florida. Um, I helped run the day-to-day operations of a $20 million a year business. And I was perfectly prepared to do that work, having studied music. I needed some specifics of the job that I picked up when I got there. But the, but the important parts of my skill set were already in place 
and they came from my background as a musician. I know parents don't fully understand that. They like to think, okay, he's going to get a job in a degree in hotel management and he's going to go run a hotel, which actually isn't true because hotel managers always work up through the ranks. Or he's going to get a job in business. He's going to get a business administration degree and he's going to go be a CEO of a company. Well, he might be, but he's not going to be because he has a job and a degree in business administration. He's going to he's going to get that job because he was Tim Flanders and ran and ran one Peter five for 10 years and developed all the skills he needed to to run a business. It, it, it's it's that kind of thing. That's how the world really works. So I think people should know that 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 what we offer is is a powerful resource for parents and students to strengthen their faith. And it's an equally powerful vehicle to help them prepare for the work world. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody does what we do. If I can add one, just one point to what you were saying. One of the, one of the things that always comes back, whether you look in, in, in Forbes or or any of the other um, magazines or journals where they publish this, where they always have those annual surveys of employers and CEOs and what they look for when they're, when they hire. One of the primary things that you alluded to that they that they always look for that always shows up on the list is is this a teachable person? Is this you know as you mentioned you know there are some things that yeah like when when you show up onto a job there are certain specifics that you need to be taught and so that's what the employer is looking for is can I teach this person? And the liberal arts, unlike any other form of education, makes a teachable graduate, and that's what makes them so successful out in the workforce. Yeah, I think that's a that's a just a, a very important point to discuss briefly here. Continue to talk about that. Um, before I got the job at One Peter Five, I, I did I actually worked in the financial sector at a, a very large company, and there that I, that was certainly true. What you just said, Philip. Uh, there, there's just the the essence of being able to communicate, to be able to be taught be able to receive feedback from your superiors and then implement it. That's, that's huge. Employers struggle with employees who just kind of refuse to get with the program basically, or I mean, and obviously that's a problem when it's like, you know, some sort of Marxist indoctrination, but if the business is making a business decision and needs to, you know, gets to gets the employees that, that teachableness is an essential feature. And if I, I just jump on that related to that, you know, business leaders are always looking for new ways to improve, improve uh, their operations, new at new directions to go. Right. And, and what we found at, at the university where art students do that all the time, their whole, their whole life is, is wrapped up in looking at something and seeing it in an entirely different way then anybody else sees it and then finding some way to express that. What a better skill set is there that could be transferred into looking at a business and looking at how can this be looked at from a different perspective and how can that be applied to, to real life? And, and that's true for all the liberal arts. I mean, it's just liberal arts students really know how to think very creatively. And that's really important in the, in the work world. Excellent. So tell us about uh, what is uh, a typical day like at the Collegium? Well, it's a typical day for us. We start, uh, we have class uh, at 810. Uh, 8 o'clock, uh, we, have, we have our classroom space that's right down the street. 
Uh, everything here is within walking distance. And so we have class. We operate on a Monday, Thursday, Tuesday, Friday schedule, which is actually it's new even for me. And then we have Wednesdays off. Uh, so class in the morning, 810 to 925. And then we have lauds together. We, we chant lauds every morning. The reason it's done a little bit later is just because of, there was, uh, we also use the parish church and they have the morning mass and, and all of that that goes on. And so we class first and then we go over for, for lauds. Uh, then we have uh, every day, there's a space from about 1030 when lauds is finished uh, till about 230 before, right before the afternoon classes start. And it's a little bit kind of, it's like a, a, a little bit of free period during the day where a lot of our students, either some of them work they uh, from in the aura at labora program some of them they get some of their hours done some of them study uh and it's some of them you know they they do other things it's a little bit of kind of you know they're they're starting to come into their own so it's a little bit of like freedom for themselves they have to start learning how to use their time wisely how to make their own decisions and managing their day um then we have we have lunch uh for those who are available who come we have lunch at noon we do the angelus right before uh, and then we have class Class in the afternoons, usually about two classes in the afternoon. We have dinner in the Angelus at six. And then we do uh, rosary and we sing Vespers every day also at, at seven o'clock. Uh, so that's that's kind of a, a typical typical kind of the day for us. Um, I'll add a couple of things. That we do, we do um, rearrange that schedule a little bit on Friday and Saturday so that the evenings are free. Um, the other thing I think is important to mention is meals. You know, most campuses just have, they have feeding stations. Right? People just go, they grab food, they eat and they run. And uh, I won't say that our students don't get antsy if we stay too long. They do. But we have meals together. And we think that's really important. Um, and we've talked about that at the beginning of the semester. And I said, you know, when you have families, you will find that mealtime is the most important time for your family. It's the time when the whole family is together. It's a time when people share their news, they share their, their joys, they share their, their problems, family issues get settled at meals. I mean, mealtime is really important. And so we've embraced that. Uh, we're a small group. And so, uh, it's like a family time for us in a certain sense, but we, we eat meals together. And part of that is the formation process. So when they go out, they'll have had the experience of not just grabbing food and running, but that they have meals together. We pray together, we eat together, and then we pray at the end. And, and I think this is another small but regular way that we help set that kind of formation in that's going to keep their faith life strong when they go out on their own. That's a really important point, actually, is the fact that everything that we do here is for that purpose of formation, right? Of, of trying to continue their their Catholic formation from whether they've been homeschooled or wherever they wherever they came from was, but yeah, to solidify that their their faith, so that they can go be Catholics out in the world and ultimately, God willing, attain their heavenly salvation. And so, everything that we do here is is aimed for that one singular purpose. That's a fantastic setup. With that's going to just build such a tight knit community of of people. Uh, with their professors and uh, with their friends that they're making from all over the country. Um, so what, what is your student body like 
this year, your inaugural year, how many students are they all from America? Do they come from other uh, countries? Tell us more about the student body. We have 11 students this, this year, which was actually somewhat miraculous because we didn't get our permit from the state until August. Uh, so it was a it was nip and tuck all the way. Um, we have 11 students. We have one local student. All the others come from mostly around the east and northeast. We have a couple of students from Texas. We have a student from Kansas. So we just reach out into the Midwest. Excellent. Um, I'd like to share your website and have you tell the viewers where just anything they can find on the website is just on the uh, curriculum here. Um, so here's the website. Um, and uh, where should, where would you like us to go just to get more information in here? Sure. Website. Um, well, the red banner there, we are, we are uh, hosting some zoom sessions so there they can go there and log in and register for the zoom sessions. We'll give a little, presentation and mostly that's a great place to get your questions and answers uh, um, your questions answered um, those are coming up I think we've got four scheduled over the next two or three weeks mm -hmm. um, probably now they're certainly welcome to look at everything the menus it's pretty complete um, they can look at the academics they can look at student life that I mean it's pretty complete admissions is going to tell them some immediate issues we really recommend that people come and visit because it's one thing to talk about buildings and classrooms and people and those kinds of things. But, but until you come and you spend some time eating and praying and visiting classrooms and visiting the students, that's the way to get to know us. And I, so we really would recommend to come to visit. And if you look under that admissions tab, there is a, uh, there's a form that you can fill out just to get questions, but there's also uh, uh, interview and interviews and visits question. Uh, uh, form right down below there. And if they'll fill that out and submit it, we'll get back to them immediately and confirm the day and time they want to come and we'll be happy to host them. I, I would say those are the those hit me as the most important right now. But uh, Philip, do you have anything to add to that? I would say also just in general, the under the about us, uh, there are all of the um, all of the tabs there then about kind of yeah the, the, the marks of, of the collegium are kind of our mission statement, really what we're about. Uh, the fact that you know all of the all of the faculty, all of the students, we all have signed the oath against modernism. Uh, so really, the kind of you know the the heart soul of of the uh, of the collegium then is is kind of under under that about that about us section. Everything else, yeah, like Dr. Schaefer just mentioned, uh, we definitely encourage people to come visit us. Uh, it's as he said, it's one thing to talk about it; it's another thing to come see us in action, to come see the town, to come see sit in on a class, to come meet our students. Um, but everything else is, is up on the website. You can look at our curriculum. You can look at the course descriptions. You can you can see the uh, the spiritual life of the college. You can see our housing. Everything, all of all of that is is up there. Yeah, tell us about the endorsement from Bishop Schneider. Well, I I got to know Bishop as well as anybody knows him when he just visits. But I got to know him a few years ago, and we talked at length about the college. I've sent him some materials. We visited about it, and um, he was more than happy to give us an endorsement. He's, he's really excited. In fact, I just saw him. We went down. He's a, he was nearby, celebrated a pontifical mass, and we all went down and, and saw him, and we, he 
we checked in again. And um, as you know, he's a he's a great man. And, and this you can read the letter yourself, but he's endorsed this as an institution that really is a valuable contribution to helping to solve some of the problems that we're facing as a as a church and as a society today. Yes, he says that uh, you're uh, presenting a form of higher Catholic education, which is worthy of the name Catholic. And uh, yes, well, it really okay. I needed. To, I, <laughs> I was going to say something in the beginning, but I thought it was too early. Um, that's an interesting phenomenon. We're we're technically not a Catholic school. We're hmm. not legally affiliated with the church. Now you can read under the relationship with the bishop. We've met with the bishop. The bishop is fine with us moving forward, but we did not ask him for uh, official status. We felt that it would it put him in an awkward position, not really knowing us and not us not us being opened yet. We we sort of took the Gamaliel approach, right? It's better for him to watch us and see what kind of fruits develop. And if this is of God, then it will bear fruit. And and that conversation will just evolve. And maybe somewhere down the road, um, he'll decide that we really should have a legal, uh, formal connection, and we'll be happy to explore that with him. Um, now, there's a backside. There's a backside to that, too. And that is right now, if you're, if you're traditionally oriented to the church, it might be, it might be prudent to have a little distance um, from the from the actual uh, internal structures and goings on, so it gives us some distance. We can just be who we are and not be worried about what's going to happen tomorrow or this afternoon or whatever. To so. that end, though, and because we are, you know, one of the first uh, one of the first parts of the tagline right there on the website, right? We are faithful. We are committed to being faithful. Uh, so this, we've met with the bishop. We have a pretty good relationship with him, and we do send him our syllabi as well. He kind of you know checks in, so he has a certain kind of oversight, you know, just to make sure that we're we're not teaching anything that's against the faith, of course. Um, but like Ed said, we, we we don't have any sort of official status or a connection with uh, with the with the church at the moment. So, as Bishop Snyder has said, we may be worthy of the name Catholic, but we haven't we haven't taken it on yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and. Yeah, it, for viewers to understand, um, there's th th we have an article coming out tomorrow about religious life and how religious life is under attack in a, to a degree. And so there's some some Catholic organizations are not worthy of the name Catholic, and they call themselves Catholic. Um, you can probably think of a few, or there are others that are just being faithful as Catholics, and we certainly have the right as laymen and women to pass down the faith, the Catholic faith to our children. And part of that is, is this education. Um, so it, it's definitely a matter of forming together and just doing what Catholics do, which is pass down the faith. That's mm -hmm. right. Exactly. One of the things I love. Oh, go ahead. Well, there, just, I want to make sure there are three things I want to make sure we touch base on that I think will be on people's minds. Um, one about our location, relationship to that, our facilities, and and also I think we should revisit the relationship or the comparison between us and a great books program because there are a couple of schools out there that are that are like us, but they're not like us in some important ways. And um, a couple of them are great books programs, so I think we should touch on. I'd like to touch on those three things before we before we part today. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, let's talk about great books first. Um, 
Philip, maybe you could you could start regarding just kind of the academic comparisons, and I'll follow up with with the, uh, the pedagogical. Okay, I was going to mention that as well. But uh, so one of the things, just to give a, a a broad kind of historical background. So again, the 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 customary, the the traditional way that the the church has educated people uh, for. I mean, 1,500 years, was based on the division and method of the arts and sciences. Again, as I mentioned, laid down by Aristotle, kind of picked up through the perennial tradition. Uh, it started with logic, then it started with what's more known, the, the nature, the philosophy of nature, and it builds through our knowledge of nature to the invisible things of God, right? And so this was, this was the backbone of Catholic education until, you know, within uh, 50, 50 to 100 years or so. And with the, the, the secularization and the kind of collapse of modern academics, uh, and this, in, to the extent that it infected Catholic institutions as well, uh, those who were looking to preserve the faith, to hand on the faith, were kind of grasping for something to do. And this was how the great books programs kind of arose. The thought was that if we could then turn our attention to all of the great authors that formed Western civilization, that that would give us something to hand on to our students. And it's certainly laudable to a great extent. There's a reason a lot of those programs do succeed and are successful. One of the other problems, and, and people have written on this, and I, you know, I don't want to get into it too much. It gets us off topic. But if the, if the great books programs are just, if you're just reading multiple authors, and it's kind of left for you to maybe decide what's what, or, uh, you know, to who's who says what or which school you're going to follow, it, it, in, it can contain within itself a certain kind of destructive seed, right? And because even, even in, in, within the great books themselves, people will list a lot of modern, modern authors from Descartes onwards, right? So the, the thing that has to guide a curriculum isn't just this hodgepodge of all of these, all of these authors and all of their different thoughts, it does have to be guided by. Uh, it has to be guided by the pursuit of of the truth, the pursuit of wisdom, specifically then as has been handed on by the tradition, and then at the end of the day, placed before us by the magisterium of the church. Uh, and so, at least concerning our our curriculum, that's really again the difference between us and a, a, just a generalized great books programs is that our students. Uh, will be focused on, I, I mentioned that concept of disputation, of arguing, because I, I, we want them to see, we want them to pursue the truth, and we want them to be able to know why something is true. Right? And that's that's why we use Aristotle, St. Thomas as kind of, it's the backbone of our curriculum. And and we also use the writings of of great commentators on those works. And, and I think that gives us a broader approach and more flexibility. And related, related to that, great books programs are, are wedded to a Socratic pedagogical methodology. Now we have no, we have no uh, objection to, to this. We use it ourselves, but we're not wedded to it as an exclusive means of pedagogy. Uh, it works well for some people, and it works better in some topics than others. So we use it as needed, but we also feel that, in terms of pedagogy, we have we have greater flexibility to address the needs of the material and the needs of the students. So I think we take what's good from a great books program, and we make it better than a than a straightforward great books program. 
that's that's what I would say about that. Okay, excellent. And um, what uh, there was a few other aspects of that you wanted to touch on as well. Well, we wanted to talk about the location. Um, okay. We are in a small town. Hagerstown is a town of about 40,000 people. And we are right, if you know the shape of Maryland, we are right in the neck of Maryland's peninsula, uh, the, the western peninsula. Um, we're six miles from Pennsylvania and six miles from West Virginia. And this swath of America is perhaps the most beautiful part of the country. It's extraordinary. We're five, we're, we have Within a short drive, we have five national parks uh, from the Antietam Battlefield to Gettysburg. We have the, the archives of three religious orders within an hour's drive. Um, the town is small enough to be friendly and comfortable, and it's big enough to have a number of things for students to do. We've got everything from you know, bowling to ice skating rinks to trampoline parks to uh, the city park is is extraordinarily lovely. Uh, it's got a great lake and uh, an art museum, a sort of a accredited art museum there. Tennis courts. The Maryland Theater is right around the block from us, which ha which is home to the Maryland Symphony, one of three or four professional symphonies in Maryland. So we've got a great cultural scene, an art scene. Um, there's plenty of stuff for people to do in a small. Uh, urban's not quite the right word because that that has the connotation of of big city life and it's not like that but it's but it's got a town there's shops and places and things you know sandwich shops to go to and things like that so it's a it's a great location it's just a great location um what, what one thing i want to add to that i'm sorry Jill. um over the years i've noticed that colleges will talk about all the great things there are to do in the area and then students get so involved in campus life that they don't take advantage of any of them. They never, they never go see anything. I, I, we probably experienced that where we live someplace and there are all kinds of attractions where we live. And yet we've never seen those attractions. It's the same kind of thing. And so, so we've created a program called uh, Class on the Go, COG, C-O-G. And two, three times a semester, we arrange a schedule so that we we take the class outside of the classroom. We, we went into Washington, D.C. earlier this semester. We saw the National Shrine and went to some of the great museums in the, in the town. We're close enough to go there and visit it and enjoy what it has to offer and not be part of the, the nuttiness of the day-to-day -day life there. When Archbishop Schneider came to within 45 minutes of us, we were small enough and flexible enough. We said, let's go. We rearranged a couple of classes. We took everybody down to see a pontifical mass, which I'm sure none of them had ever seen before. Uh, just Friday, we went up to the Elizabeth Seton Shrine and the Gettysburg Battlefield. Uh, and, and so we, we purposely take time so that students actually had the experience of some of the great things that are around us, and we don't just talk about them, and then they never experience them. So that's a, that's a pretty special part of, of, of who we are and what we do. We will never be more than 100, maybe 120 students. Uh, part of that is part of that is financial. Uh, with a small footprint, we can control a lot of really important costs. Uh, but it also gives us the kind of flexibility to do the things that are important to us, like I just described in this program. And most importantly, it allows us to be true to our mission. We don't feel pressured 
to sacrifice our mission in order to bring more students in. And, and that's probably the most important thing. So we're going to be a small, uh, special college for, for a very special group of students. Excellent. Here's a question. Uh, will there be a Catholic chaplain situated on campus? We are one block away from St. Mary's. And so the pastor is effectively our chaplain. Uh, he said mass for us this morning. He came down and had lunch with us last Thursday. He blessed some holy water fonts that we had purchased for the rooms and a crucifix for our main reading room. And so he blessed the building and, and had lunch with us. So he's available for, for direction, confession, sacraments, uh, and the things that I've just mentioned. When we're big enough, we, we look forward to a time when there is uh, a, a dedicated chaplain who does nothing else. We're not really big enough to demand that yet. So we'll take that a step at a time. But right now we have a very good relationship. We have an excellent pastor, functions as a chaplain for us, and we get, we get really very good service from him. Excellent. So, and where do the students live exactly? So, uh, you we're, okay. <laughs> we're actually, so all of the students we, we live, uh, so we don't have, as we maybe you've gathered from the way we've been talking, right? We don't have a quote unquote campus per se, right? We are just right in the middle of downtown Hagerstown. Uh, so the downtown kind of is our campus. Our chapel is St. Mary's Church, just two blocks up the road. Uh, we use classroom space. It's about uh, another another block, the other direction down the road. We eat at a lot of the local restaurants that are here. Our library is the city library, the historic Hagerstown library. Uh, and so our, our residence is the historic Hamilton Hotel uh, right there on, on Washington Street. Uh, it's been bought, renovated, and it's kind of been turned into, uh, you know, for, I guess, lack of a better term, like one of those downtown apartment high-rise kind of places. Uh, so it's certainly, it beats every dorm room I ever had as a college student. Uh, all of the students have, it's, it's a full, it's, it's a full-sized apartment. Uh, they all have their own, their own kitchens. I mean, big, I mean, big, beautiful, uh, historic windows, uh, wonderful views of downtown, the courthouse across the streets, you know, the church spire I can see out of my window here. Um, so uh, this is this is where all of all of our students and the faculty as well. You can even see uh, behind Ed and, and myself. This is this is kind of what uh, what the apartments. This is what they look like. Uh, right. so we I'm, we, I'm, we live in the Hamilton with the students. I don't know how much you can. Let's see. So there's, <laughs> there's our <laughs> kitchen. <laughs> uh, so it's a they're extraordinary it's we, there are a lot of amenities we do not have and i should talk about that in a moment um but one thing that we have that no college in the country with which they can compete is our housing it's just really spectacular they are they are lovely apartments um mm -hmm. uh, regarding amenities i will say we have great classroom space we have a beautiful church we have great housing we have great meals so you know we're not lacking for for uh, ways to treat our students well, but, but I will get parents that will ask me things like, "Well, do you have, do you have a, a an outdoor exercise facility? Do you have X, Y, Z?" They're looking for all sorts of um, amenities for the students. Well, our cost is is about a third of what they're going to pay for almost any other institution. Our our tuition room and board this year is sixteen thousand eight hundred dollars. That's for tuition, room, and board, and nobody is, can charge that. So 
it gets to a point as to what's more important to you, right? If if you need certain kinds of amenities, uh, I, I say people people want all the amenities that the secular world has to offer them, but they don't want they don't want to get sucked into the secular world. Um, and it, I, I see parents struggle with this. Uh, so we we have we have what's necessary to to serve our students and their families very very well, um, but we don't have lots of the frills that go on top of that. I think to me, one of the the greatest things that your college has, besides just the faith, obviously, is just this this communal and prayer liturgical structure. That that's just remarkable. That's totally unique. I, I I'm sure there's probably no other college that is able to do that. And I love that you really don't really want to go, you know, have a huge campus, uh, you know, a ton of students. You want to actually stay small because it allows you to keep this community, to have this flexibility. Right. Uh, but that community, I think that that is really remarkable. Um, and and that the, I think of the formation that will really happen with that sort of the the formation that happens outside the classroom with with your college. Tim, that's kind of it's that's what we talk about when we use we we use the phrase it's it's an it's a truly integrated experience. Everything everything that we do is kind of meant to reinforce all of the other aspects. It is it's meant to be a kind of formation for our students such that when they leave here they are confirmed in the faith, they're intellectually prepared to defend the faith. They're intellectually curious about the world around them, the God who created it. Uh, they've, they've had years of work experience. They're able to be Catholic in the world, to start having families. Uh, and again, all, all with that, that singular aim, that singular purpose in mind is the attainment of, of their salvation. One of my board members uh, is, had a very successful career as a physician. He just retired a year or so ago. And he comments, now this, this is a man who's just brilliant, and he's had a very successful career as a, as a medical doctor. Um, and he had an undergraduate degree in liberal arts. And you can tell, I, I kind of joke and I say, you're not really a doctor. You're, you're really a philosopher. You just masquerade as a doctor. <laughs> so, but but he, he talks about one of the struggles among the, the traditional community is that, is that parents still are in a mindset that they need an education that will help teach their kids what to think. And he said they're not as concerned as they should be about about how they think. That that they actually that they that's actually learn how to think. And that goes back to some of the things we said earlier. But but it's it's a really critical issue for parents to struggle with today. That that it's college is not it's not a trade school. Uh, and and most of the kinds of things that they if there are specific skills they need. We had somebody that was advising us who has a PhD in biochemistry. Now she has left the field because of struggles with where that field is heading today. But she's, she's very upfront and says, you know, I didn't need this PhD to do what I do in my job. I, I needed an internship. I, need, I needed to know how to think and I needed an internship. I did not need to spend eight years getting a PhD to, to be able to do what I can do. And most other jobs are like that. So parents think twice. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I really love about what you've set up is that these are coming from traditional Catholic families and they may have 
but like you said, a lot of traditional Catholic families actually don't have a traditional Catholic community because they're, you know, driving into the Latin mass an hour away or whatever. And it's, you, you know, you just can't build a community with that in the same way as you could, you know, a, you know, ethnic Catholic ghetto, that type of thing. But what you're doing, what's beautiful is that they've got the seed of the Catholic family, but now they're being given this Catholic community. And that's really what they need to go and build when they have their own family. They need to, we need to be building these communities, uh, which are, you know, more, even more resilient than the family in the sense, because we've got families then supporting each other. And that's what I really love about what you have is that it's sort of the further blossoming of the Catholic family of the seat of the Catholic family into the, really the, the Christendom really of, of, of families together. Yeah. That's the yeah. point, Tim, you talk about reestablishing Catholic culture. It starts with yeah, families, villages, cities, right? and, and, you know, and it starts, even when you look back uh, Ed, I know you have a point to make, so I'll get out of your way soon, but even, even when you look at some of the other uh some of the what today passes great secular institutions of higher learning, but a lot of them started as the centerpiece of their town. And that's one of the things I like about us. We, as I said, where our campus is downtown Hagerstown, we're very much plugged into this community. Uh, we're around in the community. Our students work in the businesses in this community. And as you said, with, with this kind of formation, we're, we're then sending them out to kind of be this transformative force. So let me add a couple things, if you don't mind. Uh, the first is, yes, we are a traditional Catholic community. Now, not every one of our students, I'd say almost everyone, but not every one of our students has come from a traditional Catholic family. We have asked them, however, to embrace the program when they come. And it has turned out to be life-changing for them. So I say that because if a, if a parent is out there watching and thinking, oh my gosh, I, I'm not a tratty, I can't come to this school, um, that's not exactly the case. However, we will ask you to embrace the program. Um, it, we're, not, we're not in the business of, of making lots of exceptions for people because we are an integrated experience. And so we want people who are willing to embrace the experience. And we think it will be life-changing for you and it'll be life-changing for your, for your child. Um, and, and related to that, parents don't think about this much, right? They tell their, they tell their kids, uh, well, no, 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 no. You don't want to get married now. You want to, you want to get married, um, you know, after you've got your degree and after you've got a job and, you know, put it all off. Well, there are some, there's some moral biological issues there that we'll put off for another conversation. But, but it's very often that sons and daughters find their marriage partners in college. That's a very common experience. And what parent wouldn't want their son or daughter to find a, a Catholic spouse who's committed to living a Catholic life? A lot of kids who don't continue to live the faith, it's because they've they've married someone who is not of the faith, and in order to keep peace in the family, they drop their practice. That happens very, very frequently. And and so at least we're also now giving them a fighting chance because the 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 people with whom their sons and daughters are going to form community are are practicing Catholics. And so that gives them a leg up when they get married in terms of keeping the faith and, and staying strong. Uh, 
Absolutely. I got one question that we'll close out, and that is, um, are there any online programs or degrees offered by the Collegium? No, there are not. Uh, it's not to say that we we might not do something of that in the future, but we're really as much about formation as we are about information, and we need to be better to do that. It's, you know, it's you can't really notion of a commu community that, yeah. that we've been talking right. about. We've seen that attending mass on on Facebook just isn't doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, right. I think so, a lot of students in in this last year, this last two years with COVID, I've had even so when I when I was teaching undergrads at the University of St. Thomas, and we went, you know, we started one semester in in person, and then we had to go all online, and I. I think I can tell you from from my end. I think students will tell you that have been through this. That on online learning is is not the same. It's not as effective. It's just not been in general as fruitful. And there there are exceptions here and there, of course. But just generally speaking, it's not as fruitful as that in person integrated experience that you get being in a classroom, being with your peers, being with your professors. Yes, excellent. Well, Edward, do you want to uh, any final thoughts? The pres as the president um, close us out here. Let me, let's see, can I add something in the chat? How do I yeah, do certainly. that? Yes, uh, certainly. I see the comments. I don't see where to add. Uh, you should be uh, on the bottom. You should be able to write something. Well, it's not giving me that option. Maybe you could put oh, it in. Sure. Um, just, they've got the website. And if they want my email, they could, they could contact me directly. I'll even put my phone number in there. They could contact me directly. Okay, sure. All right, so the email is eschafer. Yeah, I've That's got your answer. email. Okay. Throw my email in there. All right. And uh, if they want my phone number, they can call me directly as well. That's fine. You ready? Okay. Yeah. What's your phone number? 412-913-2985. All right. And if I get flooded with calls, I'll share them with you, Philip. <laughs> Excellent. And I've got the, here's your email. So that's Edward Schaefer, the president. And uh, so feel free to reach out to him if anybody's interested. So thank you very much, gentlemen. I'm very excited for the Collegium and uh, this mustard seed of Christendom that you're building in Hagerstown. Wonderful. So we're just going to finish with uh, an Our Father, as we always do. We'll just pray. Um, I'll just pray the first half. And uh, Edward, can you pray the second half? Sure. Excellent. And so we'll just pray the Our Father, and we just pray our, our holy face uh, prayers as well, and then we'll close out. Okay. name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let them that hate him flee from before his face. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus is King.